Amen. Thank you for that hot rod. I've sure enjoyed the music this morning. I think he just preached half my message, at least, in the song there, so I, uh, I sure appreciate that. I'll not sing my message for you. We'll leave that to better voices, but uh, appreciate everyone who's had a part in the service. Appreciate Pastor John giving me the opportunity to preach. Uh, I do get asked occasionally if I'm here on Sunday mornings because a lot of people don't see me. Um, I am, I promise. I'm not next door, you know, sleeping in or anything like that. I'm usually right up top there behind a computer screen. Uh, so next Sunday morning, you look up there, you still won't see me because I'm behind the computer screen. Uh, I appreciate Tanner filling in for me. He's normally up there uh, doing whatever's needed, but uh, he's, he's even doing um, the job I normally have with the live stream and appreciate Brother Greg and Hot Rod. He's back up there at his post up there already. Just to brag on him for a moment, he was up there, came down to sing, and is back up there. But uh, I'm glad for Pastor John and his family to be able to spend a few days away. And uh, I know he has a busy, demanding job, and it's nice to step back. And I can only imagine, my girls are six and seven, I, I've got a while to only imagine the emotions of a, a daughter getting married. So uh, he, he's happy for you, Michaela, I know that, but uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, a little time away to process all of that is a good thing as well. So pray for him and his family if you would. But again, happy July 4th weekend, uh, a day early, I guess, technically. And I do hope you can join us this evening. I'm looking forward to uh, continuing in our mini-series through the short book of Jude. We'll be in part two tonight, and uh, looking forward to that. And uh, even if you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I can listen to you twice in a day, Pastor Kent, come for watermelon. I mean, come on, it'll be good. But no, I hope you can join us tonight as we worship the Lord, and then just spend a few minutes after service with uh, two of my favorite things, good people and good watermelon. I'm looking forward to both. So I hope you'll be able to come back out. But uh, I am so thankful for our great country. America isn't perfect, and we could spend as long as we wanted to picking America apart, focusing on negatives, but America has offered a level of freedom and blessing often unknown throughout history. I'm extremely thankful to the many men and women who have sacrificed, fought, and died to make us free and defend our freedoms. Perhaps one of the most meaningful ways we can honor their sacrifice and honor our country is to use those freedoms the right way. So this morning, we'll be looking at a message entitled, What do you do when you are free to do whatever you want to do? Bit of a mouthful, I'll say it one more time. But what do you do when you have the freedom, when you're free to do whatever you want to do? And we don't have to think too far to see how that can go well or that can go not well. Now, freedom ultimately is a gift from God. It is an unalienable right. It is absolutely evil people who take away freedom. We are given freedom by God, and as Hot Rod just saying that, that extends into spiritual freedom as well. So, so freedom is something that God gives us. He gives us that free choice. But have you ever been free to watch or look at on a screen whatever you wanted to and use that freedom the wrong way? Have you ever had the freedom to work hard or slack off and made the wrong choice? Now, freedom is wonderful. Again, a gift from God, in fact but we need to carefully choose to use our freedom the right way. We'll be in 1 Samuel for most of our message, and you're welcome to turn there a while if you'd like. But I want to get some context from the book of Judges, which really does take place during the same time period as the first part of 1 Samuel. And it's Judges 17, verse 6, a verse that's probably, sadly, all too familiar from that sad time where much of Israel, really as a nation, the whole nation of Israel, had freedom to do whatever they wanted to do, and made the wrong choices. Judges 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. 
but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And if you're familiar at all with the book of Judges, that which was right in their own eyes was definitely that which was wrong in God's eyes. They were free to choose and made wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. God would mercifully bring in punishment to draw them back to him. They'd basically get sick of the punishment, sick of the invading nation, the slavery, whatever, and cry out to God. God would send deliverance. They'd have freedom, and they'd run right back to it. So Judges 17, right after that, there's idol worship and a war between um, this verse and the next verse I'll read. Sadly, even that was apparently not enough to wake them up for their need for God because the last verse in the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, says it again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. America has been blessed by God in so many ways, but let's never forget what he has blessed. We don't deserve it, but God will not bless sin. God will bless those who seek him. When Israel sought him, they blessed him. All right, they, he blessed them. But people so often long for the opportunity to do whatever they want, only to realize that their free choices lead to misery. And don't we see that misery in, on display in so many areas in our nation and in our world? Let's pray and we'll dive into 1 Samuel and some great reminders for what to do with our freedom. What to do when we can do whatever we want to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the freedom you give us. And we do thank you for the freedoms you've given us here in America. Some of those are threatened, but uh, still we are one of the freest nations on earth. And you have blessed our nation in so many ways, and we don't take it for granted. Whether it's national freedom or just the free will that you give each of us on a daily basis to choose whether we're going to follow you, whether we'll accept your offer of salvation or not, even as Christians, whether we will live your way or go our own way. May we be open to seeing anything in our lives where we're making the wrong choices. We don't take freedom for granted. Freedom is not free. We recognize so many who have sacrificed so much for our freedoms. We recognize Jesus and how he paid the ultimate price on the cross, dying for our sins, rising again, and ultimately offering salvation and freedom from sin to everyone who will believe. May each of us spend some time examining during this message whether we are using our freedom from you for the right ways and the right things. And we thank you. Pray your blessing on the message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll be in 1 Samuel 4 to start off. And first of all, Israel wanted the ark of God, but sadly not the God of the ark. Now, I'm not going to go into everything that we could spend in every one of these passages. We'll go fairly quickly through a great account in the Bible. But the ark of the covenant, the ark of God, it was um, very much created, designed by God. God told the men how to build it, and it was where the presence of God dwelt in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. It was a big deal. But it was a big deal because we have a big God. It was a big deal because that's what God chose for his dwelling. And we're going to see that the people of Israel run into some trouble here, and they don't run to God. They want the box. They, they want the Ark of the Covenant. They want almost a good luck charm. It's very sad to see. Notice in verse 1, 1 Samuel 4, verse 1, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. So right there. They've got war coming, they've got battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. So Israel's not doing well. 
They're in this context in this time where everybody's choosing what they do, doing that which is right in their own eyes. They're largely rejecting God. Now they face a battle. They lose the first skirmish of it. Notice in verse 3, it says, And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? They're blaming the very God they're rejecting. That's sad to see. But it says, Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. First of all, we should never blame God for the consequences of our sin. They have seen it throughout the book of Judges, throughout this time period, that if they accept God's plan, if they by faith accept him, if they follow his plan, he brings blessings, so much prosperity, peace, so many good things. There's no king because God's their king. I mean, they are religiously and politically supposed to simply follow God at this point. They don't need a king. They have God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great America? Forget the next election. Let's just all follow God. Uh, that, would, that would work. Or regardless of the next election, let's just all follow God. How about that? But uh, these are people who have rejected God's ways throughout the book of Judges. If you, if you need a depressing story and a clear picture of this, go home this afternoon, get you a tall cup of coffee, and read through the entire book of Judges. You'll feel like you're on a roller coaster if you haven't read it lately, where they will follow God, he'll bless, bring peace, bring a deliverer, bring a judge. Like, you know, we think of Samson and Gideon, and he'll bring easier circumstances. They'll be like, oh, we don't need God anymore. They'll turn their back on God, reject him. He'll mercifully bring punishment to draw them back to him, and they come back to him. And up and down and up and down, and here they are, down. <laughs> here they are rejecting him and blaming him for losing in battle. But maybe, it's the, maybe the saddest word in the passage I just read is the word it. In verse 3, they get beaten. It says, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. Yes, God used the ark of the covenant and throughout the Old Testament. I mean, this is a special object, absolutely. But it's special because God's special. It's special because it's where God blesses. And how often do we make the same mistake where we want it instead of God? They didn't need the Ark of the Covenant's help. They needed God's help. And they needed to seek after God. It's almost like this. I felt really silly with this sermon illustration. I almost took it a bit farther. This is a box of Lucky Charms. Sadly, I think this is how we often treat God. Now, I'll be honest. I thought about coming up here to preach, carrying my Bible in this box. It would fit. I thought about that. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I, I can't, you know, I, maybe you are like, yeah, you shouldn't, but I'm like, I can't. Even if nobody else finds that offensive, I would. I can't put my Bible into a box of lucky charms because it's not a good luck charm. And that would almost seem like I was saying it was, even if it was just for an illustration. I couldn't do it, even just to be simple and silly, but how often do we treat it just that way? Wow, I'm having bad luck, so let me read some of my Bible, not to seek God, but to just seek blessing. Let me, let me come to church because everything's falling apart in my life, not to seek God, but just to seek his blessing. By the way, if that's why you came this morning, I'm glad you're here. Come next week. Come, every, come tonight. Absolutely. I would rather people come to church for the wrong reason than not come at all. But let's seek God. They didn't need the Ark of the Covenant. They needed the God of the Ark. They needed God to be there. But how often are we like, okay, let's, uh, you know, let's say a prayer and get three wishes. 
I'm going to put the magic, the, the lucky charms away in just a moment. Don't worry. But how often is that how we almost treat God? I think that's exactly how they were treating the Ark of the Covenant and treating God here. As silly and potentially irreverent it would be to put a Bible inside a box of lucky charms and come up here to preach, and that's why I didn't do it. It's even worse to treat the Bible that way in our daily lives. Let's leave it on our shelf until we're ready. We'll, we'll you know, rub the magic genie lamp when we need something. No, no, no. The, the greatest blessing God can give us is himself. It's a relationship with him. It's a deeper relationship with him. And I'll talk about it throughout the message. But if you're like, man, I don't have that relationship, we'd love for you to leave today knowing you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And again, I'll explain that more in the message, and we'd love to talk to you about it. Maybe you've been saved for a while. You've had that relationship, and maybe you're up against a battle. Maybe like Israel, you just got whooped. The best thing God could give you, maybe he'll remove the battle. That's not the best thing. The best thing is a closer relationship with him. They needed to seek God. The first thing they should have done was be like, hey, God, we've sinned. We've blown it. This is our fault. But they're blaming God. God is not a good luck charm. How often do we come to church and not to God? How often when we pray, do we seek God's help but not seek God himself? And come to God in prayer. Pray. Pray more. Some of you probably pray a lot more than I do, and you'd put me to shame. Let's pray. Let's beg God for help. But do you know what the best prayer times I ever have are? When I just simply, this isn't all the time, but when I simply want to spend time with God, my Savior, God, my Maker, God, the Master of the universe, and I get so close to Him that whatever on the problems. <laughs> if I'm going through those tough situations that I was praying about and I've got God with me, bring it on. He can handle it. I can't. I'm with Him. Let's come to prayer and seek God. How often when we read our Bibles are we eager to learn and willing to change as opposed to just check? I'm a good Christian. I read my Bible. I get a lot of agreement from teens about this. Um, so maybe you adults are, you know, not, not so mature that you'll still be willing to admit this. Um, most teen students will admit that they have a history book or a science book or an English book that they're reading, and their eyes glance at every word, but they're like off thinking about whatever else. You ever do that with the Bible? I have. I've been guilty of it. Have you ever read the Bible and not really read the Bible? I think it's later in, the no in my notes, but when we come to read the Bible, we should let the Bible read us. We, we should let the Bible show us, hey, that doesn't work. Hey, that needs to change. Hey, good job on that. That's the way to go. And let the Bible read our lives. Israel was at a position where God didn't wipe them out. They weren't annihilated by the Philistines. They should have run to God. Yes, yeah, seek the Ark of God. Seek the Ark of the Covenant. Sure, because that's where God's presence dwells. But it wasn't the, the wooden box. It was the God who told him how to make it. It was the God whose presence was there. Israel wanted the ark of God, but sadly not the God of the ark. Next, we see that Israel wanted to continue their godless lifestyle instead of seeking freedom to do right. Again, we have a choice. So grateful for freedom. I've been to some other parts of the world and heard about many others that are just not as free, not as blessed, not as amazing as America. I love our, na our nation. But let's use that freedom the right way. 1 Samuel 4, verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, the priests there, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. 
And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. I'll just be honest. I think if God himself in physical form came and showed up right there, they would have been less excited. They wanted God's help, God's blessing, but not God. They wanted freedom from the Philistines so they could use it to sin more. So they could use it to continue to do whatever they wanted. The people of Israel had used their freedom to go against God and simply wanted God to give them more opportunity to do wrong. If you're a Christian, will you use your freedom in Christ to help others be set free? Will you use your freedom in Christ, will I, to help others see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? He offers freedom even beyond what any nation ever can. He offers eternal freedom. And again, I'm grateful for our nation where we get to gather and talk about that freely. We don't have to hide. Some people know they should come to church and they hide the fact that they're skipping out one week or something like that. We don't have to hide from the government. We don't have to hide from anybody. We can serve the Lord and be open about it. Unfortunately, Israel wanted to continue their godless lifestyle instead of seeking freedom to do right. The story is told that a lady named Elizabeth Keckley was a slave in Missouri before the Civil War. Her greatest desire was to purchase freedom for herself and her son. Her owner agreed that if she could raise $1,200, she could gain her freedom. Keckley worked as a seamstress and came up with a plan to go to New York City and work there to raise the money, but her owner feared that she would go and not return. Instead, some of her wealthy clients in St. Louis contributed the money she needed, and Elizabeth Keckley paid the price for her freedom, as well as her son's freedom. She moved to Washington, D.C., where she encountered Mary Lincoln among her dressmaking clients. Without the help of someone else, Keckley would never have been able to purchase her freedom. All of us were enslaved to sin with no hope of ever gaining freedom. But in mercy and compassion, Jesus gave his life for us, purchasing our salvation by shedding his blood on the cross. We are now free from sin if we've accepted his free offer of salvation. But that freedom does not mean that we do whatever we want. Instead, we're to live how Jesus wants us to live. Freedom should give us deep gratitude. And I feel that for all of the soldiers, all of the men and women, defending our freedoms now and throughout our history. It brings great gratitude for our nation. And as Harrod saying, that freedom we have in Christ, how much gratitude should that give us? All of the times Israel had gained its freedom, being delivered just throughout the book of Judges, throughout this time period, should have had such a deep gratitude that they shouldn't have cared whatever had to go. Okay, I can do whatever I want. I've got that free choice. God, you make it. You tell me. That's got to go, okay. I got to get rid of that, okay. This in my life isn't good, okay. But unfortunately, they use their freedom to try to sin more instead of to do, instead of to do right. Next, we see Israel failed to recognize the right power source. Verse 6 of our passage. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. I feel like the Philistines got it more than the Israelites did. Even the Philistines thought that meant that Israel was genuinely seeking God's presence, which they weren't. It says, and they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Even the Philistines got it. It's not some object. It's God. And they had heard about the God that delivered, the one true God that delivered Israel out of Egypt. They had heard of, no doubt, some of these other battles that God had delivered Israel through, and they knew that they were no match for God. Unfortunately, Israel wasn't seeking God. They were seeking easier circumstances 
but not God. Not interested in repenting of their sins. Even the Philistines who rejected the one true God realized that the power behind Israel was God, not any object. We need America as a nation to remember the source of our power, our prosperity, our blessings. It's said that every day when the sun rises over Washington, D.C., the very first rays fall on the eastern side of the city's tallest structure, the 555-foot Washington Monument. Anybody ever been up it? I have been. It's been years, but I have had the privilege to be up in the Washington Monument and see it several times in person. Beautiful. The first part of that monument to reflect the rising sun in the eastern, is the eastern side of its aluminum capstone where these words are inscribed. It's in Latin, Laus Deo. I'm probably butchering the Latin, I apologize, but it means praise be to God. This compact verse of prayer, prayer of praise, visible to the eyes of heaven alone, is tacit recognition of our nation's unique acknowledgement of the place of God in its founding and its continuance. And we can shake our heads at America as a nation, as many in the nation forget God, the God who has blessed us, but how much do we remember him each and every day? You ever go there? Where you're like, oh, how can the nation, how can that person, how can that person that's on the news or that group or this political party or that political party, how can they? And then you realize, how can I? I might not be doing it on a, nation, on a national scale and I might not be completely rejecting God, but am I seeking him the way I should? Do I read my Bible each day? Do I let it read me as I read it? Do I let the Bible read my heart, point out where I need to change? Are we quicker to complain to God or to praise him? Oh, if Israel would have praised God for all the times that he had delivered them already and sought his forgiveness, it would have been such a different story. But Israel failed to recognize the right source of power. Next we see, even God's people are weak when we have a weak view of God. God wasn't weak. God's never weak. God could have wiped out the Philistines with a pinky, with a word, with a breath. But Israel was taking such a shallow view of God such a shallow view of God's view of sin, God couldn't bless them. The godless Philistines were able to overcome a bunch of Israelites who knew about God, but rejected a relationship with God. Verse 8 of our passage, Woe unto us, the Philistines talking, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? Not recognizing that it's the one true God. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, quit ye like... Quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye are not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought. And Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain or were killed. Hophni and Phinehas no doubt believed in God, that there was a God. Their dad, Eli, is the priest. But Hophni and Phinehas, if you know them from Scripture, absolutely rejected God and were known for their godless lifestyle. Most, if not all, of Israel believed in the existence of God at that time and would probably admit, if you asked them at that point, right before that battle, is God's way the best way? I doubt that any of them would have said no. I think they all would have said yes. Hey, God's way is best. But most of this time, they rejected his ways and didn't place their faith in him. They accepted some facts but rejected God and were horribly defeated. How about you? Maybe you're here this morning and you know about God. Maybe you have no doubt that God exists. 
But have you ever realized that his son Jesus, that we celebrate his birth at Christmas, came to earth to die for your sins and for my sins? And that you need to accept Jesus as your Savior like I did as about a five-year-old child. Has there ever been a time where you've placed your trust and faith in Jesus as your Savior? If not, you can accept the God that Israel rejected. You haven't faced your final battle. 30,000 of those people did. Many of them were rejecting God, not placing their faith in Him, and went into eternity without Him. But you have another chance. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, will you take that seriously and consider it this morning? And during our invitation or at any point, we'd love to show you from the Bible how you can accept Jesus as your Savior and know for sure you're on your way to heaven. But if you're a Christian, how's your view of God? Is he strong enough to carry you through that next battle? Is he the one you turn to? Genuinely. Again, I've read my Bible. where My, words, my eyes go over every word. My heart's not in it. It could be shouting at me. The Holy Spirit could be shouting at me through the word of God to change something, and I'm not even listening. My eyes are going over the words. I've come to church services where I'm there physically. Mentally, I'm, I'm elsewhere. Spiritually, I'm elsewhere. Doesn't matter what the preacher preaches on. Doesn't matter what the Holy Spirit says and to my heart. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to listen. I hope that's not you today. I don't care whether you enjoy my style of preaching or not. That's really not important. Will you listen to God? What he has for you this morning? Will you be willing to change anything you need to? So often we see that a nation gets what it celebrates. Uh, you can see that on, on a small scale. Uh, soccer, football, if you want to call it that, but American soccer, as we call it, it, gains popularity. People start cheering for it more. More and more kids grow up playing soccer and less and less play baseball. Football, in this area, football's kind of honored for some reason. Y'all have won a couple state championships around here, you know. Uh, but football is honored. We get more football players. You can see it on that. But a nation, a family, an individual gets so much of what, it's on, what it honors, what it celebrates. In America, we have what we have in part because we've honored it, including the sins that are so accepted. They're accepted. We have more of them because they're honored. Now, you might say, hey, hold on a second. I've never honored abortion, the LGBTQ agenda, or that behavior, or any of the sins that are so prevalent in America. If you haven't, great. But have you stood up for biblical truth and stood against those sins? If we just blend in, we are a part of the problem because it's happening on our watch. Even God's people are weak when we have a weak view of God. Next, we see the things that concern us the most say a lot about us. In 1 Samuel 4, we see a sad but godly example of this from the life of Eli the priest. Verse 12 says, And there ran a man of Benjamin after that second battle, uh, out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent, sign of mourning there, and with earth upon his head. Again, they lost. People died. He's, he's in mourning. And when he came low, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching. Eli the priest, supposed to be a spiritual leader, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the, noises, or the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli, now, Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines. And there hath been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. 
and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell off from the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck broke, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Eli, far from perfect, did a horrible job instilling spiritual values into his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, they, unspeakable acts being done by those two individuals. Horrible, horrible sin. But I'll give it to Eli here. I'm sure he was heartbroken, devastated to hear that his sons died, to hear that Israel was, was beaten in battle. But what devastated him the most was that he knew he couldn't continue without God. And that's what really broke his heart. That's what caused him to fall over backward and then to die. He knew they needed God. Yes, he mentions the ark, but I genuinely think that Eli was seeking the God of the ark, not just the ark of God. He knew they needed God's presence. So let me just ask you, what riles you up the most on the news? Sin or gas prices? Now, I'm with you if both rile you up a little bit right now. That's fine. But which riles you up more? Inconvenience? or wickedness. And I mentioned the news. What about in your own life? What about in mine? What, what does your heart break for those around you? That times are tough? That they might not go on as nice of a vacation or have as nice of a car? Or that they're going through life without the presence of God? The things that concern us the most say a lot about us. Next we see, if we don't notice that God's gone until things get difficult, we're missing the point. I think the young lady mentioned in this story had it right. I do. But great example. 1 Samuel 4.19, and his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. She was given birth. And about the time of her death, the woman, women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. God's nearness and blessing had departed a long time before this, though. This woman may have already noticed it. I don't say any of this to criticize her. I think she was doing just fine. Most of Israel hadn't even noticed They didn't notice how far they were from God until all of a sudden, circumstances got difficult. All of a sudden, they get whooped in a couple battles. Now they're like, wow, something's off here. God's not delivering us. Do you notice that you're not close to God if the bank account is still full? Do you notice if everybody's healthy, that there's some sin in your life that you need to change? What's it take to get for God to get your attention? God ever gotten your attention in a way you wish you could have avoided? Guilty. I wonder how many smaller, easier, gentler ways I ignored first. Boy, if Israel would have been like, wow, Philistines are coming, battle's coming, are we right with God? Maybe this is a punishment, maybe it's not. Let's look, are we right with God? They would have realized, nope, we're not. They could have repented. I think they would have won both battles in a landslide, just wiped them out. But they wouldn't let God get their attention. Let's notice whether we're right with God. Let's notice whether God's missing or with us. I'm excited for Vacation Bible School in, uh, later this month. And we've seen some amazing results in past years. Young people saved, lives changed, entire families connecting with our church. But it's not going to be VBS that will make a difference at the, in the end. It'll be God. Please get involved with VBS. But first of all, most of all, let's all get involved in seeking God and what he wants to do this VBS. They, they sought the Ark of the Covenant 
but not God. They noticed when the ark was taken that, wow, God's blessing must be leaving. God's presence must be leaving. It had left a long time before. Most of these people didn't have God in their life in any way. Some of them were no doubt believers that were so far away from God that his blessing, his nearness left, and they didn't even notice. We get to go to camp tomorrow. Pray for us, if you would, please. We're excited uh, to go to teen camp tomorrow. I'm very excited for a three-hour drive instead of a 12-hour drive like it used to be down to Pensacola, Florida. Uh, three hours. That, yes, this is, yes, big praise for that. We're excited. Uh, our speaker will be a man named John Getch, who's out in uh, Lancaster, California. Uh, a great man, great speaker, powerful preacher of the Bible, and I'm excited for that. I'm excited for camp, but I'm excited for camp because we get to hear from God. And by the way, you ever go to like a kids or a teen service and you as an adult get spoken to most? I've been that person as a youth pastor. I hope God will speak to my heart. I hope I'll be willing to change. Yes, I seek camp, but not because of camp, but because of God. If we don't notice that God's gone until things get difficult, we're missing the point. Just two more points and we're done. Next, when God shows that he's the greatest, let's take time to notice. Tragically, the Philistines completely missed this point. As First uh, Samuel 5, verse 1, it says, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod, one of their cities. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon, their false god there, and set it by Dagon. So they're almost like, okay, let's use this symbol, this object of the one true God and put it by the one we think is the true God, Dagon. Notice what God does. And when they, they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was falling, fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him up in his place again. I'm glad our God doesn't ever have to be propped up by us. He'll prop us up, but we don't have to prop him up. Verse 4, when they arose early on the morrow, morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, the priests of Dagon, nor any that come into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod until this day. The one true God proved that even just the Ark of the Covenant, just that symbol being placed next to, just that presence of God being placed next to a false god, he could whoop them. I wish the Philistines would have learned that lesson the way the Israelites did not. They could have gotten saved in droves right then. And how many times do we set something up as a God in our lives, what we are caring most about, and God does something to show that he's more powerful, he's greater? Do we even take the time to notice, or do we try to steal the credit for ourselves? Oh, that these Philistines, they could have gotten saved right then. When God shows that he's the greatest, let's take time to notice. And finally, this is the challenge to the Philistines, and it's, I believe, God's challenge to you. It's certainly my challenge to you. Will you respond to God? Will I? i got to be honest, this is one of the saddest parts of the whole account, starting in verse 6 of chapter 5. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, or most Bible scholars believe that's hemorrhoids, uh, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. God showed that he's most powerful. God's bringing punishment. They didn't deny that it was God bringing the punishment. And yet they absolutely reject God. They send the ark away. They don't want anything to do with God. If God's trying to get your attention about something this morning, will you respond? 
It's probably been a little different message. I have a little different preaching style than Pastor John or, or Brother Danny that did a great job last Sunday. It's not about that. It's not about us at all. Will you respond to God? If he's trying to get your attention about something like he was with the Philistines, will you respond and not send him away? So many people walk away from God by something that he was using in their lives to draw them closer to him. Maybe things have been a little tough right now. Maybe it's because of some sin in your life like it was for Israel. Maybe it's not because of anything you're doing wrong. Maybe it's simply that God loves you so much that he'll allow difficult things to come into your life so that you'll turn to him in a bigger way. Maybe you didn't even want to come to church this morning. I don't know. Maybe you're a little sleepy. I think it's a little warm in here, at least for me. But uh, maybe, maybe, you know, it's just you, you didn't even want to be here. You're not sure. Maybe God made sure you'd be here this morning so you can respond right now to him. Maybe you are like the people of Israel, even the Philistines, where you recognize, hey, God's real. He's powerful. He's better than anything in my life. But have you ever placed your trust in him as Savior? And if you're a Christian, are you living like he's the greatest or are you trying to send him away? The Philistines seemed downright annoyed that God would dare mess up their false god. You know what I'm pretty sure they did? I don't think the Bible records this, but I'm pretty sure they got a new head for their little false god, new hands for their little fake god, Dagon. No, no, our God gave us hands. We don't need to give him hands. He is all-powerful, and we should respond to him in any way. Wow, the people of Israel, they're about to get excited when the ark comes back. We won't go into all of that, but... Uh, they still largely do not seek God right away. <laughs> not really until, largely until King David comes on the scene do they seek God in a bigger and bigger, better way. Samuel does a lot. Will we seek God? Will we respond? Or are we like the Israelites who know all about God? Maybe we know some people who accept him, but we're rejecting him. Or maybe we accept him for salvation, but in our daily lives we're still pushing him away. Or, oh God, you're not taking that part of my life. Not, not touching that. That's too far. We like the Philistines who maybe he's bringing some stuff into our lives to get our attention. And instead of responding and listening, we're pushing him away. While the Philistines, every single one of them there, could be in heaven now if instead of pushing the one true God away, they would have accepted him, would have placed their faith in him. People of Israel could have done the same thing. By the end, the Philistines, and I know I haven't read all of the verses, and that's fine, but by the end, the Philistines recognized without a doubt that God is more powerful than their false gods, and yet they didn't follow him. I'll often pray on Sundays and Wednesdays that a service, whether I'm involved or not, will not be just another church service, but that will genuinely worship God, genuinely respond to him. So let me ask you, it's between you and God, and you really are free to make your choice, but will you respond? Has God been speaking to you about something during this message? If so, will you respond? God has given you the freedom to accept or reject his offer of salvation. He lovingly came to earth, left heaven, was treated as a criminal, died on the cross for your sins and for mine, and offers the free gift of salvation if you'll place your trust in him. And we'd love to show you from a Bible during the invitation how you can do that. You have the choice to accept it or reject it, but one choice is eternally different, better than the other. If you're a Christian, God still gives you a free will, the choice to have a close relationship with him each day or to reject him. Even to reject him 99% of the time, most of the day, most of the week, and to try to treat him like a good luck charm. But again, the choice between accepting him and rejecting him as a Christian, 
for our daily lives. One choice is infinitely better than the other. Miss Deb is going to come to the piano and play a song, and we'll have a short time of invitation. So let me just ask you, will you respond to God? Will you spend a few minutes talking to God at your seats or even coming to the altar to do business with God? And if you'd like someone to show you from the Bible how you can respond to God's offer of salvation this morning, we'd love to do that. Whatever God has spoken to you about, will you respond?